Well, good morning, Dogs of Church. My name is David, one of the guys on staff. Um, I've been apparently dubbed the Ann Arbor guy by people I meet who I haven't met before. They're like, hey, you're the Ann Arbor guy, right? I'm like, yes, I am. We're playing a church in Ann Arbor. That's kind of part of my role here on staff. Uh, But today we are celebrating Father's Day, and uh, we figured we would do that by reading the next chapter in 1 Corinthians, okay? (laughs) So it's about the Holy Spirit, which is great because the Holy Spirit is one with the Son and the Father. So that's the connection there. Pull out a Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, chapters 1 through 11. So we've been kind of studying through this this book of 1 Corinthians, and we're kind of getting into this What's this, this kind of next section? And he's kind of been bringing up, right, thing after thing that either they've kind of written to him about and saying, hey, would you help us understand this? And he's getting into what is really going to be one of the core issues that's happening in this church. And it has to do with the Holy Spirit. And it has to do with the kind of manifestations of the Spirit and these things called spiritual gifts. And so this is kind of how it, it starts here in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's just read the whole kind of section and then we'll kind of try to pull some things out of it. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So I'm going to be talking to you about this for a while. But this already starts. He says, Now you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit— to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, so he starts this whole section. This is going to really be three chapters. So he spends a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts because it's one of kind of the core issues in this church that it's not just this thing is an issue, but it's kind of revealing that there's something wrong about the way they view the Holy Spirit. something wrong about the way they view God and themselves. And so he's going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but this is how he starts. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the situation is it's kind of, he's, he's bringing up spiritual gifts again, and he talked about this kind of towards the very beginning of the letter, and the situation in Corinth is essentially this, that this is, in the New Testament, the church that has kind of the most miraculous kind of manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, and yet it is also one of the most immature churches in the New Testament. And so what has happened is that the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these believers that's meant to unite the church and actually build up kind of everyone around them. They're actually using these spiritual gifts to build up themselves and divide the church. And it's going to spend four, we're going to spend four weeks looking at these three chapters, but here's how he wants to start the conversation, by talking about the Holy Spirit. And so there's basically two points, okay? The gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? I know, it's great. It's a great outline. Now here's how he starts. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. 
however you were led. Meaning like there's a bunch of different ways this might happen, but ultimately before you followed the true God, you were, you were led astray to mute idols. And it says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been thinking about this for many days, okay? Now, here's what I keep getting stuck on, and it feels important. Why does he start with saying that you followed mute idols? Like, why is that the the explanation he chooses, like the description to explain their past lives? Now, this probably gives you a window into my head a little bit, okay? Because most people just, like, get confused about that, and they would move on to, like, the really clear and obvious things. I can't let stuff like this go, okay? So this whole week, I've been trying to figure out, why do you use that word? What's going on here? And so I ended up talking with Sam Roberts about this. And if you're ever confused about the Bible, just talk to Sam, because he's very smart. And he's saying, well, this actually reminds me of Psalm 46, and so we pulled up Psalm 46, we started kind of reading these two things side by side, trying to figure out what is he talking about with these idols. And, and here is what Psalm 46 says, because it's essentially a mirror of 1 Corinthians 12, the beginning. He says this, this is God talking. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that I might be compared? Now some, they pour out gold from their bags and they weigh out silver on the scales and they they hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. And then they bow down and they worship it. Now they lift it onto their shoulders and they carry it around and then they set it in its place and there it stands. And from its spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer, it cannot save them from their troubles. Right, this is like God kind of in this kind of like brutal way, just like saying, hey, here's what everyone in the world is doing, right? This is what idolatry looks like. And it's a ridiculous idea, right? He's like, you took something, you fashioned it into a God, and then you bow down to worship it, and you're asking this thing you made to save you. But if you want to move it, you have to literally pick it up and put it on your shoulder and move it around, and, right, and it's so ridiculous. We look at this and we're like, yeah, that's a really silly thing people used to do. But what's so interesting is the Bible says that this inclination hasn't stopped now that we're modern people. Now, we don't literally create small statues anymore, but we still create our own idols that we make sacrifices to, that we look to to give us meaning and purpose and happiness. And we don't carve these things out of stone anymore. We actually still have our temples, right? We just call them, like, the gym or the workplace or the library or Instagram. And we actually still have our rituals, right? We've determined, like, what are the right sacrifices that we need to make to these gods in these temples so that we, if we do these correctly, we'll be blessed. And Isaiah 46 and 1 Corinthians 12 says that one of the defining characteristics of someone who worships idols is that the thing they're worshiping is mute. It doesn't speak, right? And it makes sense why it doesn't speak because it's not real, (laughs) Like, you made it with your hands, right? Like, it's not a true God. And so you as the craftsman, you as the worshiper, you are actually the one who speaks in this relationship. And the point of Isaiah 46 and 1 Corinthians 12 is that this is actually the exact opposite of what it looks like to have a relationship with the God who exists. This is what Isaiah 46.3 says. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. Saying, hey, God's people, listen up. You who have been born by me from before your birth, 
You who have been carried by me from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to your gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. It's a total opposite picture of idolatry, right? And here's what Paul was doing, I think, in our passage today. He's saying, hey, when you worshipped idols in your past life, and he's not just talking to Corinthians, he's talking to all of us in here. This was our story before Jesus broke into our lives. When you worshipped idols, you are the one who really mattered. Because it was your voice that was speaking, right? It was our ideas that were being followed. It was our power that moved things forward. When you worship idols, you have to be the one to carry it from place to place. It can't speak. It's mute. And so ultimately, it has no voice. You have to speak. But the opposite is true when you have a relationship with the God who exists. Because he is the one who made you. And he is the one who carries you. And what he's saying is he's saying that even the most basic statement of Christianity... When someone would speak even the most basic truth in Christianity, that Jesus is Lord, in the same way, that isn't really you speaking, but it's the power of the Spirit of God who is empowering you to say that. So let me try to pull this up together, okay? He's saying, in the same way that your dead, lifeless idol has no ability to say anything unless you, as its creator, speak on its behalf, You are like that when it comes to spiritual things with God. Now he's saying, I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts. That's what I'm here to talk to you about. But before he does that, he's like, I want to talk to you about the nature of Christianity. And you have to understand from the beginning is that everything about this is given by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, you have to understand your life with God is completely the opposite of these previous life of worshiping idols, because your spiritual life with God is not something that we create, it's not something that we manifest within ourselves, it's it's not something that we can even make happen, but it's something that from the most basic spiritual truth that Jesus is Lord to the kind of the most powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God, of someone like literally proclaiming in the name of Jesus for someone to raise from the dead, and they do it. Like whatever miraculous power there could possibly be, he's saying, From the very beginning to the very end, none of that has to do with any person's power. It all has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what's so fascinating, because when you worship a God that you have created, even though you're bowing down in front of it, it's ultimately you that you're worshiping. Because the, the thing you've created has no power to save you. And so ultimately, even though you're displaying some kind of religious affection for this God you've created, what you're actually doing is just saying, I am an incredibly spiritually powerful person who will save myself. But when the God you worship is really there, when the God who is there, who exists, when he reveals himself to you, it changes everything. Because not only does this God speak and have real power to change your life, But it also means that now, anything that happens in your life, anything good, anything spiritual, anything of value, it's not a display of you, it's a display of him. And he's saying all of this is because of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
we're going to be spending a multiple weeks talking about spiritual gifts. And so if we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, we need to talk about the one who gives the gifts, right? The, the Spirit. And Romans 8 is the, the best chapter in the Bible to learn what is the Spirit of God like. And, and we don't have time to get into all of it, but just here's kind of Romans 8, 8. And we're going to read a little bit of, of Romans 8 to help us understand. What is the Spirit of God doing? Well, it starts like this. It says, those who are in the realm of the flesh, they cannot please God. Okay, he's just making the statement. He's saying, hey, if you're in the realm of the flesh, you actually can't please God. And he's not just talking about the material world, but he's talking about the fallen world. He's talking about people who, because of sin, we've been cut off from our relationship with God, and we've been cut off from kind of true spiritual life. And he's saying, in this state, there's actually nothing, like not a single thing that you could do as a human being that would please God. First of all, that's a stunning thing, right? Because it literally just means that like there isn't kind of some abstract spirituality that we're all kind of figuring this out together and some people are more spiritual than others. We're all kind of bumbling through life, kind of figuring out this spiritual thing. He's like, no, 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 no. You cannot have any spiritual life whatsoever in your natural self. None. Like you're spiritually dead. But in Christ, this all changes. Look at the next verse. He says this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Just making this distinction. He's like, actually, in the flesh, you can't please God at all, but you're not in the flesh. You're actually now in the Spirit. And you see what he's saying is when humanity was kicked outside of the Garden of Eden, the very beginning of the story of the Bible, the thing we lost was the presence of God in our lives. Now, we didn't lose his presence entirely because God is everywhere. His spirit is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But we lost the kind of intimate relationship, his tangible experience of his presence that gave us life and joy and fullness and flourishing. But then what happens is in the Old Testament, whenever God's presence would come into our world, it would come in a way that was powerful but was also dangerous because we are now unholy people. We can't be in the presence of a holy God anymore. And so now, even though the presence of God was powerful and is the very thing we needed to heal us, it's now dangerous for us. We can't be near it, right? This is Moses with the burning bush. He's like, Moses, don't come any closer and actually take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. This is God's presence in Mount Sinai, right? The presence of God manifests itself, right? In like a soft, glowing flame? No! Thunder and lightning, it terrified the people. And there's this voice from the mountain saying, don't come here and don't touch the mountain because you will die. You will be consumed. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's like if you don't touch this in just the right way and hold these poles, and even if accidentally you reach out and touch this, you're going to die. You're going to drop dead. It's the Holy of Holies. Right? The place in the center of Jerusalem, in the center of the temple, where the white hot center of the presence of God dwells. And only one priest, one time a year, could walk into this room. And they would actually tie a rope around his leg because if he didn't come in in complete ritual purity, he'd be struck dead from the holiness of God and they'd have to pull out his body. And he goes into this place, the Holy of Holies, that was separated by a four-inch thick curtain. Some people debate, two inches or four. Either way, very thick curtain, okay? And it's intentional. They're saying, like, the holiness of God is on the other side of this. And we can't be in the white-hot presence. We can be in proximity to him, but we can't become united with him. We can't be joined with him. We can't be swept up into his presence because the presence of God and his fullness doesn't heal us anymore, but because of sin, it consumes us. 
But then the presence of God comes into our world in a new kind of way, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that actually in Jesus, in his human form, the full presence of God dwelt bodily. And once again, when Christ is in our world, we can stand next to God, like right next to him, and we can touch him. And instead of being consumed, it says that our diseases were healed. Our sins were forgiven. Our lives were giving meaning and purpose and hope. And standing next to Jesus Christ was the closest thing that any human being had experienced with the presence of God after the Garden of Eden. But then Jesus says, hey, this is great, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, this is amazing. And he goes, I have to leave. And they're like, what? (laughs) We've been waiting for you for a really long time. And he's like, yeah, I have to leave so that I can send you my Holy Spirit. And then each of the, the, the gospel writers, Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, they all tell us that when Jesus was on the cross, something incredible happens. Because the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world, that in the very last moments of Jesus' life, when he cries out and he breathes his last, that God himself tore that curtain in two from top to bottom. And after Jesus rises from the grave and he ascends to heaven, we have this incredible scene in Acts 2 where the disciples are gathered together in the upper room and something like this strong hurricane force wind fills the house and sends the whole city into an uproar. And at the end of this scene, as people are probably picking themselves up off the ground because of the power of this moment, they look around and above each of their heads, there is this small flickering And it's impossible to overstate the significance of that moment because that is the sign of the white-hot, holy presence of God. The Spirit of God himself has come to dwell in the bodies of these ordinary men and women. That's the story of Christianity, and the world has never been the same. Because those ordinary men and women who were empowered with the Holy Spirit did literally change the world. And so this is how Romans 8 continues. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, that the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of what? Because of His Spirit who lives in you. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes spiritual life with God possible. Christianity is the opposite of idolatry in every single possible way because in idolatry you sacrifice to these gods that you've created in your image. But in Christianity, God sacrifices himself for those that are created in his image. In idolatry, what you do is you breathe life into these lifeless idols so that you can worship them. In Christianity, God breathes life into your lifeless spiritual body so that you can finally actually worship him. And in all of this, here's the point. He's saying Christianity is not about spiritually powerful people becoming united with God. But it is about God uniting himself with normal people and making them spiritually powerful. 
And the entire history of God's people is it's like trying to say that again and again and again. Like, what is the defining difference between God's people and the rest of the world? The whole story of the Bible is telling us this. It has nothing to do with them, (laughs) right? The difference was that the God that they worshipped was actually there. That's the only difference. Is it the God who they knew was the actual God who existed? And because of this, there was a power in their lives that was outside of themselves. Power to defeat their enemies, right? And power to defeat their enemies in weird ways that didn't make any worldly sense, right? It's like, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to go to the city of Jericho. You're going to march around it seven times. You're going to blow your trumpets, and then the walls are going to fall down, and then you're going to have victory. And you're like, that's a really weird way to do it. He's like, right, because it's not about you. It's about me and my power. The power for a guy named Gideon to raise up an army of not thousands of people, but 300 of like the worst soldiers that don't even know how to drink water right. And it's like, hey, you're going to come and you're going to follow me and I'm going to defeat 120,000 people who are coming against you. Why? So that you will know that it's not about you and your power, it's about my power. Power for a small boy who can't fit in the king's army to slay the giant. Power for a dead man to walk out of his tomb three days later power for 12 unlearned, unimpressive fishermen to turn the world upside down. It isn't that our religion is better. It's not that our ideas of spirituality are more helpful. It isn't that we are spiritually powerful people. It is that all the other idols of our world are mute and our God speaks. It's that all the other idols of our world, they're made in our image. We come up with these ideas, but we are the ones who are made in the image of God. And he has called us to worship him. It's that our God is real. He's real. And he speaks today through his spirit. And this is what's so awesome. And this is the thing he's trying to get us to remember. Is He's like, you have to understand this. The church of God moves forward only by the power of the Spirit. That has nothing to do with worldly wisdom. Nothing to do with worldly power. It can't be built that way. It's not through the hard work of skilled people. And you know what's true is you can build something that looks a lot like the church through worldly skill. You can do it through administration and eloquence and influence and leadership, but the church, by definition, is not built that way. Because as soon as you get to Christ, as soon as you start talking about Jesus Christ, for you to say the very first true sentence about him, that he is Lord, that and every single thing that can be built off of that is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is important. And it's so important because this is what they got wrong with the spiritual gifts. Because spiritual gifts are often impressive And it's so interesting, right? Because he could have actually just said, I want to talk to you about spiritual power. And he doesn't talk about that. He said, I want to talk about spiritual gifts. He's like, I want to make it clear that this isn't about you. This isn't about the thing this person has, this gift this person has. This is a gift. It's from God. But spiritual gifts are often impressive. And they should be because they're manifestations of the power of God through the mouths and hands of lives of normal, ordinary human beings. But his point at the very beginning is to say, you have to understand, that is exactly what this is. It's not you. It's a manifestation of the power of God, not a manifestation of that power. 
And this is so unlike idolatry because every other person that has their idol, their life and their display of spiritual power is about them. But you who worship the real God, your life is a display of his power, not yours. Because in idolatry, everything that happens ultimately points back to you. And if we're honest, this is what we're doing. Whenever we're not worshiping God and we're out in the world worshiping something else, ultimately what we are doing is we are heaping praise on ourselves. It's about us. But as soon as we start talking about Jesus Christ, and as soon as we start living for anything that has any value at all, everything about that is not about us. It's about Jesus. It points back to God. So that's the gift of the Spirit. But he wants to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, now we're not going to get super deep into this. He, he actually lists a bunch of them. We're going, to kind of, we're going to kind of run through them quickly, but we've got multiple weeks on this. So this is just kind of an introduction. But let's just ask this question. What, what is a spiritual gift? Because I think he actually intends to answer that here. Look at what he says in, in verse 4. He says, okay, now there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there's varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so let's just pick this apart. Because I think actually we can come to like a pretty good definition of what is a spiritual gift from just these verses. So he's saying, okay, there's a variety of these gifts. And he says that there's gifts, there's services, there's activities. But they all come from the same Spirit, same Lord, same God. So, variety of these things, not just one or a bunch of them. And even here, he doesn't list all of them, right? He lists nine, but there's even some other passages you can go to where he lists a bunch of others. So, it doesn't seem like he's trying to say, hey, here are the gifts, you know, like, here they are. He's just like, hey, here's some examples of ways that God empowers people to build his church. Because the second thing we see is something that's specifically empowered in someone by the Holy Spirit, Right? And it has to do with faith. He's talked about this in kind of the rest of, of the passage, but he's going to say, like, man, this is something that actually isn't just something that God empowers someone with, because every single person that has a gift in the world, God gives them that. Or even someone who's a CEO of a company who's incredibly smart, that's something God has done in that person. God is sovereign, he's powerful, and he gives everyone gifts they have. But it's not just that, it's more, it has to do with faith. It's not just a worldly skill set. But it's something tied to the faith of others that's actually meant to build up the faith of those around them. But the third thing that's interesting is this is not just something that some people have, right? Like, and this is what was true in the Old Testament, right? Not everyone was empowered with the Spirit in these miraculous ways. You had certain people, like King David, right? Comes out, slays the giant. You're like, that's incredible, and he's filled with the Spirit of God. But that wasn't true of everyone. But now, because we're in the New Covenant, and the curtain has been torn... Actually, the Spirit of God manifests itself in everyone who is connected to Christ. This is what he says. He empowers them all in everyone. To each is given. Now, what this means is pretty incredible. It means when you first follow Christ, you are not only given the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit actually begins to empower you with certain gifts to grow and build the faith of those around you. And this is actually why at Doxa, we don't want you to just come in and like hear a sermon and sing some songs, but we want everyone to be deeply involved in the life of the church. Not just because it's going to bless you, but actually because there's something in you from God that the rest of us need. You've been given something from God to bless the church. And what's interesting is it says it's not just for you, but it's for us. And so you could summarize it kind of like this. You could just say the spiritual gift, what he's talking about, is any gifting, any activity or service 
the Holy Spirit through faith intentionally empowers within someone to bless and strengthen the faith of the rest of the church. And so just a few things really quickly we should notice. Like, if you are someone who's not connected to a church in a vibrant group of Christians, it means that you have something in you from the Spirit that's not really being used. Because the point of the thing God's given you isn't just to bless you on your own, it's actually to bless us. And so we, we need the church even to begin to figure out what are our gifts, how do we express these things. And so let's, let's just look at these. He lists nine of them. We're going to just hit on these really quickly. We're not going to go super in-depth, and even the last ones we're not going to talk about because he has a whole chapter on, on tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so some of you are like, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Well, it comes in a few weeks, okay? Here's what he says in verse 8. He says, To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now, this seems to be like someone who, like, from the Spirit has this, this ability, this consistent ability to kind of bring God's wisdom to bear on situations people find themselves in, right? And we've experienced this, right? Like, there's certain people that you're like, man, I just feel like whenever I talk to this person, it's like, it is like God himself is just saying, like, hey, here's wisdom for you in this situation. And you're like, gosh, this is incredible. Like, I talked to this person, and they love Jesus, but they seem like a dumb-dumb compared to this person when it comes to wisdom, Right? And it's not because there's any difference in these two people. It's just because this is the unique way that the Spirit of God is manifesting itself in this person. They have the spiritual gift of the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, right? This is someone who's able to, to teach doctrine and truth and kind of take the Bible and pull it out and explain to people with clarity. Verse 9, he says, to another, there's this faith, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. Now, this isn't just normal faith that kind of saves people because everyone who is in Christ has faith, but this is like a bold, powerful faith that Jesus talks about. Like, if you have faith, you can cast out that demon. Like, if you have faith, you can tell this mountain to be thrown into the sea and it will happen. This kind of powerful, powerful faith that is beyond the normal faith we have to be saved that actually allows us to pray and things will happen. This powerful display of faith to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another working of miracles. Now, these are really interesting because actually, unlike the rest of them, he uses plurals here. So like it, it literally says, not, it's not gift of healing, but it's gifts of healings and gifts of miracles. And I actually think this is really important because it isn't so much that there's actually certain people that like, if you come to this person, they will be able to heal you at all times, right? Like they have the gift of healing. Now, most commentators seem to think that this isn't someone who has it all the time, but it kind of, these gifts of healings manifest themselves in different people at different times. But this is the ability to take something that is broken, either physically, mentally, maybe even spiritually, and through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, see it be healed instantly. Or it's to have something that the church needs that seems absolutely impossible and to just be able to pray for it and have it happen. Like, we, we've, we've experienced things like that. Like, I've experienced things like that in my life. Where you're looking at someone who's, like, incredibly sick and there's, like, no possible way this person can be healed and then you with some friends, some people that have the, the kind of the gift of faith that says, I think we should pray for this person. And you're like, are you sure? Like, I don't know if this is going to work. And you're like, no, I believe this can happen. You're like, well, I'm glad you're here because I don't have that spiritual gift. And so you get together and you pray for this person and you actually see a miracle of healing happen in front of you. These things are real. They happen. They're not just stories that happen overseas. They're not just stories that have happened in our past. These are real things that happen today. 
And he says to another, the gift of prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirit, spirits. And, you know, prophecy is interesting in the New Testament. Because when a lot of us think of prophecy, we think of prophecy in the Old Testament. Like someone that stands up like Ezekiel or Isaiah and says, Thus saith the Lord. And it's like in this powerful, authoritative kind of way. Where the New Testament seems to work slightly different. Because the gift of prophecy seems to be someone who's specifically in tune with the Spirit of the Lord to reveal something to the church that's currently hidden. And it's more than just kind of Bible teaching, right? Because someone could stand up and kind of in a prophetic way, like unpack the Bible in a way that hits you hard. And that's kind of a gift of teaching, right? Or the gift of preaching. And that's also a spiritual gift. But this seems to be something that is more specific than that. It's like the gift of spontaneous revelation from the Spirit of God to a person or group of people that encourages them, exhorts them in a certain way. But he kind of ties this with the ability to distinguish between spirits. And so it isn't that there's some people that have this ability to kind of like, to kind of reveal things from the Holy Spirit to people, but there's certain people who have the ability to actually kind of even discern like, ah, is that really from the Lord or is it not from the Lord? This ability to distinguish between spirits. And he says there's various kinds of tongues and interpretations of tongues. And, and honestly, all of chapter 14 is all about those. Right? It's about prophecy and tongues and interpretation. How do we use these things in the church? And so we're going we're gonna to leave all of that to for a couple of weeks. But the point of it is, is this. These are just a short list of some of the gifts. And if you want to look at more, you can go to Romans 12 or Ephesians 4 or, or 1 Peter 4. But his point isn't to name the gifts and say, yeah, oh, here's like a personality type. Like, oh, you're, a, you're an ENFP. Like, that's what you are. And this is what you have to contribute to society, right? That's not his point. He's not trying to name this or put you even in a box as a spiritual person. His point is to clarify for people who do seem to have a manifestation of the Spirit. is to say, where does that power come from and what is it for? Where does it come from and where is it, what is it for? And his point is also to get us to understand that we have a role to play in building up the church of God. Like, forget about what you might be thinking about right now. Like, I wonder which one of these God's given me. Like, that isn't necessarily unimportant. But like, the bigger thing he wants you to think of is like, you have been given the Spirit of God. It's been put inside of you. And he's empowered you with something, probably multiple things, to actually bless and build up the faith of those around you. Like, how amazing is that? I'm always stunned by this, that God doesn't just call us into his family, but he's like, hey, I'm also going to give you your spirit, and now I'm actually going to use you to build this whole thing. And you're like, what? Like, I don't just get to be part of it. I get to help build it. And he's like, yes, because you're my son. You're my daughter. And I've filled you with my spirit because I want you to be part of this family work of the church, to take the gospel to all nations take the good news of Jesus into the darkness of this world that the light of Christ might shine brightly wherever you are. And that means really specifically that there is no Christian who's meant to be a consumer. None. And if you're in this room and that is how your Christianity exists, is I just, I consume, I, I come here because you have great teaching and good, and good music and then I leave and I kind of go to my own thing and I am a consumer of spiritual goods. What I want to say is Jesus Christ did not die for you to be a consumer. He died for you so you could be a contributor to his mission. You're part of this. You've been given his spirit not just to know Christ but actually to be part of seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ go to everyone we can possibly find to give it to. You've been given a gift to actually build up the faith of people around you. 
And yeah, there's some people that have more obvious gifts than others, right? Like, this is why Jesse sings and I don't. Like, I sing in the front, in front of everyone, so you can't hear me. Because that's not my spiritual gift, okay? But it's interesting, John, John Piper is a pastor. He has a quote that he keeps above his study, and he kind of thinks of it in terms of spiritual gifts, and I, and I love it. This is what it says. It just says, The woods would be very silent if no birds sang except those that sang best. You know, like, one of the gifts God's given me is to, to teach and preach the Bible. And that's why every once in a while I get to get up here and, and do that. But some of you, you have actually an incredible, powerful gift to teach and preach the Bible. It's not going to happen on here, but it should happen in your connection group. And it should happen with those around you. And every single one of us, no matter who we are, the Spirit of God is inside of you, empowering you to help build up the faith of those around you for the common good. Now, here's where I'll, here's where I'll end, okay? This, this section is kind of opening up this situation this church has, where they're using the spiritual gifts, and they're actually using them in really destructive ways. Like, we're going we're gonna to get into this, and you're going to figure out, like, oh my gosh, like these things that are meant to unite the church, they're using them to divide the church, and, and they're basically comparing gifts. They're saying, like, oh man, if you have the gift of tongues, like, you must be really spiritual, and you must be, like, really holy, and if you have the gift of service, eh, you're probably just, like, not a very spiritually powerful person, right? And, and the whole point of this is he's saying, like, you're being a fool. Like, don't think of the gifts in that way. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But when I read this, Honestly, I'm, I'm grieved by these passages, okay? I always have been. Because this church, while they were using the gifts wrong, and yeah, they were unhealthy in all kinds of ways, the thing I feel consistently when I read these chapters is, man, at least they were pursuing spiritual gifts. You know, and they might have been pursuing them wrongly, but my question has always been whether we, as kind of a church in America, a church like Doxa, whether we are pursuing them at all. In this church, you know, it was unhealthy. It was off in so many ways. But they, they knew that what God had called them to do in their life was spiritual in nature. They knew it wasn't worldly. It couldn't be accomplished in their own power. And they knew they needed the power of God to live the lives that God had called them to live. And so you know what happened? They become fascinated with these manifestations of the Spirit of God. And they did it in an unhealthy way. And it became wrong. And it became destructive but I wonder if the reason that we aren't in the same place as this church, I wonder if the reason that we aren't in the same place of kind of fighting over which gifts, which spiritual gifts are best, is because we don't actually need spiritual gifts to accomplish the kinds of things we are focused on accomplishing in our lives. And I wonder if one of the reasons that passages like this feel foreign or far away, or even like we're like, man, I haven't even heard of these gifts, right? I don't, I don't think about these things in a daily way. Maybe it's because the things that we're pursuing and the things we're building and the lives that we are actually living are totally within our ability to accomplish. Because you don't need a spiritual gift to climb the corporate ladder. You just need worldly skill, worldly ambition, hard work. And you don't need a spiritual gift to pray eloquently in a way that makes people think you're great. You don't even need a spiritual gift for that. But do you know what you do need a spiritual gift for? Do you know what you need the power of the Spirit for? Anything of eternal spiritual value. Anything that has any lasting value, you need the power of the Holy Spirit for that. 
Because all of it's done in the power of the Spirit and none of it in the power of the flesh. And without the power of the Spirit, you can't even say Jesus is Lord. And if you can't say that without the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, then there is nothing in the Christian life that matters that you can't do without the power of the Spirit. And so one of the things I want to just leave us with as we close is this. We're going to look at a church over the next few weeks that is filled with unhealth in the way they pursue the spiritual gifts. I think as we study this church and study what God says to them, I think we need to ask if we are in an even more unhealthy place where we are living lives, where we are not even pursuing these spiritual gifts because we don't think the power of the Spirit is important. And the things that we're actually focused on and the things that we're giving ourselves to, they're not spiritual things, they're worldly things that we don't need the power of the Spirit to accomplish. How much of our lives do we spend cultivating, pursuing, and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? Because that's interesting. At the end of this whole section, he's going to talk about all the ways that this church is super unhealthy in this ways. The thing he's going to say at the end of it is going to say, actually, what you should do is you should use these gifts in the right way. You should make it not about you, but about God. But he says that you should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. You should desire them. You should pray for them. You should ask for them. You should want them. Because the things that have eternal value in this world, much of them are accomplished in these, these, these things. And none of them are accomplished on your own. And so as we, as we close, um, let's ask that as we come face to face with this church that's unhealthy, likely in ways we're not, that we would be the kind of church that at the end of studying this, we'd actually come away and say, we don't just want to be healthy because we're not fighting about these things. We want to be healthy because we're pursuing them in the right ways. Let's pray. Father God, when you found us, we were worshiping idols. And God, we didn't call them idols, but they were. And we have so many things in our lives that we've created with our own hands and we've used our own voices to speak about and we worship those things and we look to them for life and healing and wholeness and salvation, but you have met us in the person of Jesus Christ. And you have poured your Holy Spirit into our lives and it is you who speaks to us from your word. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would be the kind of people who are in tune with your spirit, that we would be the kind of people who recognize that the life you've called us to live is not something that we can accomplish or work hard for, but it's only something that you can empower inside of us. And God, I pray that you would make us a church that is constantly thinking about you and is constantly looking at things in the world that you've called us to do and accomplish. And we would say, we have no ability to do these things without your spirit. And so we'd be the kind of church that's on our face, that is on our knees, seeking your power to live the lives you've called us to. Not so that we can be great, not so that people can look at us and say, wow, these are spiritually powerful people, but so that we can be the kind of people that step out into the world. And when people see our lives, they say, wow, this person serves a God who must be real. So Spirit, would you speak this morning? Would you empower us to be your church?